Passing Dimes is proud to welcome a new partner to the show, Momentum Pro Camps. Momentum Pro Camps runs volleyball camps across Ontario, bringing professional athletes, coaches, and resources to communities, clubs, and partners. Momentum's mission is to inspire and develop high performers for life, and they're doing just that. Unfortunately, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, Momentum has suspended all programming until permitted by local public health recommendations. However, they have developed incredible future programming for athletes to benefit from and are excited to share it with all of you when we can play again. Follow us on social media at Momentum Pro Camps for updates and details on future programs or email us at contact at MomentumProCamps.com. Stay excellent, friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome back, or welcome to, if this is your first episode of Passing Dimes, and you're in for a good one. I'm really excited for today's guest. She just finished her first year overseas, and I'm excited to get all the details and cover the rest of her career. So, today's guest won a gold medal at Ontario Winter Games. She was named to the OUA All-Rookie Team and was an OUA All-Star when she was at Windsor. She's also the first female volleyball player from Windsor to get a contract overseas. She's been a nominee for the Best Opposite in her Swedish Elite League. And please welcome to the show, Lexi Pollard. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Josh. Super excited to be talking to you. Yeah, so you and I first met, I believe, when your mom was an absolute trooper and you used to come to 6 a.m. practices at Center of Excellence. And what people need to understand is you lived pretty far away and were coming to downtown Toronto to play volleyball. So can you just kind of set the scene? How supportive was your family? Like, how much were you into sports that you were willing just to, you know, make that commute, not only at, for six in the morning practices, but it seemed like your whole sport career, you were willing to kind of go the distance and, and treat this like a serious thing right from the start? Yeah, I mean, my family, I can't thank them for enough, enough for how much, you know, they helped me in my career and kind of just letting me follow my dreams and and what I wanted to pursue, it definitely wouldn't be where I am today without them. Like, um, yeah. So it it was a long time ago. Now that you now that you bring up the center of excellence, is there? Um, I started going to those whenever I think I was in sixteen. You, if I'm correct, what is that? How uh, probably about seven years ago. I think so. Um, yeah. Yeah seven years ago. And as soon as I decided that I wanted to go play varsity, that's whenever I kind of reached out for a different kind of VCCs. They popped up and I started to go down to Markham originally on Sundays and I was coached by Keith Wozlick and those were really, really good. And then I wanted more volleyball, like <laughs> the two practices a week at the club level. And then my, you know, the one tournament a month, I kind of, I just wanted to play more. So I found the center of excellences with Dustin and it was funny because there's no other athletes that were at those, um, practices in the morning. So I kind of got one-on-one training with him and you, and it was, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. So just for our listeners, like you would travel to play club, it seemed like, like you were a very elite athlete to start, which I think was a little bit, but then you made the choice to to travel a little bit to Aurora. So just to give your parents some credit, like how much driving were they doing to make sure that you could be a part of all these programs? Because it, it seemed to add up over the years, I think. Yeah. I mean, my first three years playing uh, in Barrie from 13 to 16, you, I was commuting one way about 45 minutes. And then that whenever I decided to move to Aurora, 
um, for my 17U and 18U season, that switched to about an hour and 15 minutes, sometimes an hour and a half one way. And in the middle of winter, it's definitely not fun. Um, <laughs> but that on top of, uh, it was, you know, it, an, on a good day, it was an hour and 30 minutes downtown Toronto in the morning. So, you know, my mom and I would be up at 4am. I'd go, I'd go down there and train. And I was lucky enough that I got, um, one of my credits actually at my high school covered as kind of like a phys ed credit. And then I also, um, for me to be able to get back in time, I took a spare for my second class. Um, and then, basically had my four classes. One of those were a lunch break and I usually slept in my car because I was exhausted. <laughs> and then I would go home and then drive back to Aurora that night if I had club practice. So another hour and 20 minutes there and then back. So it was, it was a lot, um, a lot of dedication, a lot of long drives and my parents were all for it. They were so, so supportive with it. It was awesome. And you mentioned like it kind of clicked for you when you decided you wanted to play varsity. So I'm curious what sparked that? Were you watching college and university matches and realized that was the level? Or was there somebody at your club who kind of showed this? Or did you just love volleyball that much that you were going to take it as far as you could? Yeah, like I think whenever I first started playing it, whenever I was 12, like I took a lot of time to just, well, I had a lot of free time too um, overseas this past year to just think about everything, you know, volleyball included. And I just kind of came up with the the conclusion that like it's kind of a double-edged sword but I have a large inability to settle with what I have and like going from Barry it's like okay I made the Barry team okay what's next moving up to a better team okay there's Aurora and then after club season it's like okay what's next after that okay varsity volleyball finish varsity and then what do I have after that it's okay professional and it's like I don't know, I just always looked at what was upcoming and what was next that I could kind of achieve because I was never really content. Well, I was happy with what I had, but I always was looking at what was next. And that's kind of definitely where I think, you know, why I'm playing where I am right now. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And can you let us know just your recruiting story? Because that's what I've learned through doing the show is that everybody has a little bit different of a story. I think there is a clear path going from club to varsity, but at the same time, like how you talk to coaches or, or when you decide like you want to commit to Windsor, like how early in your process did you start contacting schools or how early did they start speaking to you? And then what made you finally determine that Windsor was going to be the spot for you? Um, so I started probably looking into schools around 16U and then I actually hurt my knee um, in 17U so yeah, I started I started looking at schools whenever I was 16 but didn't actually reach out to any. And then whenever I started getting actively um, you know, contacting these coaches and whatnot, I hurt my knee. And this was I think it yeah, it was 17 U, um, really like prime time for recruiting whenever you go and you know visit these schools and and do these unofficial visits. And I hurt my knee, was recovering for the entire summer for six months after surgery. And then I started to, like, come, as soon as I was um, healed and fully recovered, I started to, like, really take on the, the recruiting because I was late. I was, I think it was the beginning or mid of 18U season. And I basically made my choices based on academics. I really wanted to go in the sport management stream. And so Brock... Calgary, Simon Fraser out in BC and, and then Windsor popped up, but those are my top three that I was looking at. And then 
Windsor kind of, I don't know how it even came in my, you know, possibility, like what I was looking at for schools, but it did. And I contacted Lucas. I emailed, I emailed him and he came to see me in a tournament, I believe. And then he asked me to come visit, um, I think like three weeks after he saw me play. And I went down on a Friday, absolutely loved, you know, the tour, loved what he was like, what he had to offer with the program. I really liked the location of it. Everything kind of fit with what I was looking for. And then I was like, on Sunday, bring the papers to breakfast. I'm going to sign like I'm ready to go. (laughs) That's awesome. I just want to circle back to your earlier point there, because I'm always fascinated when an injury happens to an athlete who's so determined and so dedicated. So you dealing with that at such a young age, do you feel like that affected your identity? Did that affect like what you wanted to do with your time? Like, how did you balance that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of young athletes listening who have maybe gone through something similar and it's, it can be pretty, pretty mentally exhausting to go through that. So with you doing that in your 17 new year, like you said, and it affected recruiting, like looking back, how did you feel in that moment and how did you get through it? It was a really, really hard time actually to get through because at that time, like that's whenever I was, volleyball was my entire life. Like, it, it completely my life revolved around volleyball and so leading up to that too I was prepping for also team Ontario tryouts and working really hard to you know have a good showing at the tryouts and so putting all that on hold on top of recruiting it was definitely a lot of realization of just impatience and, and realizing how much patience is important and taking all the really tiny little important things about recovery seriously and pushing myself but also not pushing too much where it's like you know you're going to injure yourself so I was fully back ready so I injured myself in April I tore my meniscus and I continued playing on it which didn't really do the best um, for my long-term recovery I continued playing on it for the rest of the weekend and then I had to get all of it removed uh, in my left knee. And so I spent the entire summer, six months recovering. And then I started to play uh, again in October, the following season. And I didn't mentally feel fully at a hundred percent until probably February of that following year, because, you know, I was just, I was scared to injure it again. I was, I never, I didn't want to go through the, the sitting around and waiting to heal and waiting to get stronger and stuff like that. Like, so it took a it took a lot to and a lot of mental preparation for practices for matches and all this stuff to be able to fully compete at 100% and give my all and I kind of just turned into the mentality of if it breaks again it breaks and you just have to fix it and that's the only way you know you're going to kind of get to where you want to go. Wow, yeah, so was there one specific moment or you just kind of came to that realization? Cause I, I totally see when athletes come back from injury, they don't want to go into that situation. But if you're afraid to be at the net or possibly land on somebody else's foot or go down like that, like you're not going to be aggressive and playing like the style that you were probably accustomed to. Right. So did, when you think back, was there one moment or honestly it just took enough time for you to be confident and comfortable again? It just took, I think a lot of consistent, like, putting myself outside of my comfort zone and my coach at the time for storm, he was super, super supportive of like pushing me, but not pushing me too much to the point where it was like detrimental to where I was trying to get to hundred percent recovery. So I think it was just like 
piece by piece, practice by practice, kind of taking those small steps outside of my comfort zone, even if it was a small, tiny bit to finally get to a place of being like fully confident and a hundred percent on where I was and even stronger, you know? And fast forwarding to when you arrived at Windsor, did you have expectations? Like, did you plan on stepping in as a first year and having a big impact? And just looking at your bio here, like playing in 19 matches, like, were you a big shooter as soon as you arrived on campus? Or what did you think it was like when the, when the team got together and you're kind of looking around and seeing who the other players on the squad were? I think when Windsor was, it was awesome. Like I was so lucky and so fortunate to be able to play all and start every single match in my rookie year. And Lucas was, I was his second recruiting full recruiting class. So he was kind of in the process of rebuilding his own program and turning it into what he wanted it to be. And so I was one of the first, well, I was one of the first classes that he was full, that was fully his responsibility for recruiting. So, um, moving throughout the four years of playing at Windsor, it was like, it was really cool to see the progression of that completely turning into, you know, his, his own vision of what he wants, um, in his volleyball team. And so coming into first year, it was really cool to see the the transition of club to varsity, obviously, with the um, the higher volume of practices, you know, you're, you're lifting way more often, the dedication that you need, and on top of all the classes, too, it was a massive transition, but it was it was really, really cool to see, you know, over the years um, I was there, how much the program changed in such a good way and what Lucas did to, to really facilitate that change. Yeah, does anything stand out, whether it was playing against older athletes or just maybe the speed of the game? Like, as a first year, you obviously had success, but does anything stand out about, oh, when I was across the net from, like, so-and-so? Like, it really showcased how much of a jump it is from club to university? Yeah, I'm trying to think of if I have any specific um, moments whenever I was like, holy crap, this is, like, this is the girls that I remember watching whenever I was younger and sitting in the stands. But I think definitely the speed of the game was a massive transition for me. And, um, and the strength of the girls, like, you know, you just, it's just a full step up from, you don't play against girls anymore. You're playing against women that are, you know, have been playing, um, in this league for four years, because typically you're not on the court until you're a fourth or a fifth year. And so playing against these really refined um, women that are super comfortable in um, with the league and with their team, it was it was um, interesting for my first year and definitely outside of my comfort zone. But it helped so much. Like fast forward to my last year and and being able to help the the first years and the second years on you know what to expect and and how to prepare properly for matches and you know just being able to be successful in your first year. And did you and Lucas set out a plan? Like when you arrived, did you know what, you know, I I think we all know that professional volleyball is a thing, but like to name certain clubs or name certain leagues is a bit of a challenge with us being kind of so far away from it. Right. But did you pull Lucas aside and said like, by the end of my fourth year, like I want to go overseas and I want to play professionally. Like, was this by design or did it just keep progressing as you went through your, your career with Windsor? So I've always kind of had it on, you know, the back burner, like the radar. It's, it's been something that's been on my mind ever since I started playing volleyball, but I never really brought it up to him specifically. Um, I kind of just like to keep it like with him, especially more team focused and, you know, what we're doing 
with um, with the university team. And then the pandemic came around, and then that's whenever I kind of brought it up to him at the end of August, whenever we had a bunch of meetings with our athletic director and teams, and there were so many massive question marks about what this year was going to look like moving forward. So, you know, after I think it was month six of the pandemic and our league was not looking too hot, I called him and I was like, hey, Luke, like, what are your thoughts? And this could be a long shot because it's the end of August. The professional season, they usually do the recruiting early in May, June. So I was like, what are the odds you think that I could look at for a contract overseas at this point and go a year early. And he was like, honestly, I think it's definitely not something you um, should pass up. If it's there, uh, definitely look into it and see what you can do because, you know, I think your options over there could be better with what our situation is here with, with OUA. So did that, um, had that call with him in August. He contacted a few people for me. And I also reached out to some other people that have went, some other Canadian athletes in the, OU, in the OUA that played professional and uh, found myself an agent and then ended up uh, overheading to Greece in two weeks after that phone call. That's, that's so impressive. So I'm, I'm curious why you didn't do what so many other athletes, and I, and I don't mean this as a slight, but there are other athletes in new sports who are now extending either their undergrad or they're going to choose to stay for masters and really, you know, turn five years of eligibility into six years of eligibility where you decided to cut it short and go overseas and pursue your career now. And, and it sounds like uh, we just had Pierce Johnson on the show and it sounded like he did the same thing. He went to FTC, got his credits, and now he's set up to be, he can be a pro player now. So what made you want to fast forward that versus kind of milk this U sports career for as long as you can and stay behind one more year? I just think I was ready for a change. Like, and that's, there's not, I can't really put more to that. Like, especially sitting in the, you know, during the pandemic with no volleyball, you know, you can't, you can't go work out. There's so, I really realized in that time that I miss volleyball a lot. And that was my biggest thing was I was like, I just want to play volleyball. I've never went this long without touching the ball, without training for something. And it was just really, really weighing on me. I was like, I have to go try and do something at least because I just don't want to sit around and wait for a potential season or, you know, something that is not guaranteed. And I was like, I just, I want to go try and see if this is an option. And if it is, then cool. I can start a year early and, and uh, that's just a path that, you know, I'm meant to take. <laughs> and I missed this in your bio, but you did play uh, a year of one volleyball league with the Madawaska Madman, I believe. Did that experience kind of help you also see what professional volleyball is? Because I think the OUA is a, is a very high level. And obviously there's people you would have played with and against who would be pursuing professional volleyball. But one volleyball has some some athletes who have already kind of been there. Right. So did that help you build any connections or kind of confirm that you wanted to play professionally as well? Yeah, I think I I completely blanked on that. I uh, played in that league too for a minute, but for sure the girls there, especially hearing a bunch of their stories of of going over playing overseas and and also being able to just play beside them and how much fun it was playing at that, at that level. It was I was like, this is something that definitely I can see myself doing, and and it was a challenge because all the girls around me they were they're so experienced, and it was a little bit different because I was at the time of fourth year at my university. So I was considered a senior and then going and playing on this team, um, 
in the summer, it was like kind of hitting the reset button all over again <laughs> and playing and learning from the girls that are, I've been playing for five years more than I have and playing a faster ball and all that stuff. And it was just something that was super, super intriguing to me. And I wanted to kind of see what the next level was. Sorry to make you do this, but to single anybody out, was there anybody in that league that really impressed you that maybe you weren't familiar with, like maybe Nico or some other players that now that you were either on their team or across the net from them that you're kind of like, wow, there's some some special players in this league? Definitely Nico. Nico was a beast. <laughs> I love I love watching her play. I love playing against her. Um, also, to see one person that really stood out to me was I played against her in the, in the OUA, uh, Alex Arsvitt. And I also was on her team. So just to see the the growth that she had in one year, because she was a stellar OUA player. And then to see just what one year did to her playing in Switzerland, it was like, holy crap, you got really, really good. <laughs> and, you know, nice. so that, that part was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So just to confirm again for me and the listeners, how many credits did you have to do? Like before we jump into this pro thing overseas, like, I think people think, oh, they hear, oh, you can do school online, so that's no problem. But doing school online in a new country while trying to be a professional athlete, like just to isolate the school part, how many credits were you doing while also playing your first year pro? So I had a full course load. I had four credits in the fall semester, and then I had four credits um, this current semester in the winter. So I had a full schedule, full pack schedule, and it was tough. It was really tough to, uh, to balance. Now, was there anything that required you to be there at the certain time zone or were, was it pretty flexible in terms of you could watch the recording, you could do the test whenever, or were you trying to balance like the time zone between uh, Greece and Sweden and Windsor? <laughs> yeah, it was, that's exactly what I had to do. There was in, and it was one, one of the most toughest parts was every, uh, every professor did their lectures and their content delivery in a different way. So some some people would use you know Microsoft Teams to do their to do their lectures. Some people would use um, like our university platform Blackboard, and then some pe- some profs would make it mandatory for me to be there during the lectures. Some people some would give um, they call it asynchronous lectures, so you can just watch it whenever. And some profs would give those. So it was just like breaking up every single class that I had and realizing, okay, like what needs my highest priority of like, um, time change wise, like what do I need to be there for, for my, my eight thirty PM to nine fifty, which is actually, I think it was like two thirty to three fifty here, something like that. So just breaking up it course by course and realizing which ones kind of need more attention than others. And that's kind of how I navigated and survived both years. I'm kind of so surprised that I did, but. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's jump into it. So you have a conversation with coach, you're, you're going just cabin fever without volleyball and you decide, okay, I'm going to make a run of this. I'm going to go play pro. So which agency did you go with? Uh, how did you decide on the Greece contract first? So I, decided on LT Volley. Um, there was a couple of Canadian athletes that have signed with him. There was, uh, I think Camilla, Camilla Haas got her first contract through him, I believe. Um, and Claire McKenzie. So I was like, okay, he does a pretty good job at repping these Canadian athletes, reached out to him. Um, and then, you know, the Greece contract, there was a couple other ones that was bouncing around, but there was nothing really that serious. And the Greece contract popped up. 
and they were like, okay, we need you out really, really fast. And, you know, I got my, got my visa for that um, downtown Toronto on like a Thursday and then flew out on Saturday or something like that. So it was, it was really fast and it was the process of getting it was really hectic because I was also balancing school and it was, I had to move from my university house to home and pack all that stuff up. So it was, it was a pretty hectic two weeks to prepare for going overseas, but it was kind of fun at the same time. And take me through the process. Cause I'm sure there's some listeners who are casual fans and they're going, no, Lexi was in Sweden. I, I watched her highlight tape. Like she was in Sweden. So how did you land in Greece? How long did you stay there before the opportunity was there to transfer to the Swedish league? So I originally went to Greece and then, so there's some back end issues. I'm not going to really touch on that happened over there. And then I ended up not staying with the club that I was at. So my agent and I were like, okay, well, what other options do we have? And then Sweden popped up and it takes about a month. It took about a month and a bit for me to get my Swedish visa processed. So it was like, it was looking at, I would be there for the second half. So I would be able to fly out to Sweden in December. And I was at the time, uh, in Greece in October. So I was like, okay, what can I do at the time to, you know, pass my time? I can go there and train, but I can't play in any matches. So I'm still waiting for my visa or, you know, what are, what are some options? So basically my agent and I, we came up with, there was a team on Sant- in Santorini Island. They had an opposite that was injured. And they just needed a body to fill, kind of, to be able to play six on six and and prep for for their uh, their upcoming matches. So I was like, you know what, sign me up. Like, fly me up to Santorini. I'll go live there, train with them, get my touches, and you know, prep for second half in Sweden. So I went out there for about a month, and then I learned so much stuff from that team. That was that was such a cool experience. Um, to be able to train with them and also to be able to compare the different types of clubs. Like not very often can you say, you know, you get to experience um, three different clubs in in one year. (laughs) It's pretty um, unusual, but it was really, really cool to see just how they operate. Um, And like I said, learn a lot of really, really good volleyball, learn how, you know, they play European volleyball met some really cool people there and then ended up flying out to Sweden um, in December and then stayed there until, yeah, I just came home uh, three weeks ago. So yeah, it was a, it was a really interesting first year, but it was so cool because professional life isn't pretty. And that's one of the biggest misconceptions about it is people think, Oh, you get to travel for free. You know, you, you get to live in a country and you get to play volleyball for a job. And it's like, no, there's so many other little pieces and so many, I don't I don't want to say ugly parts, but there can be ugly parts in, in going to play professional. And it's like, you know, your, your success as an athlete is dependent on how well you can navigate those uncomfortable situations or those unknown situations. So it was, it was really, it was a really cool and really neat learning experience for me for my first year. And what were some of those aha moments you had with your second club there? So you mentioned you're mostly just training with them and learning, but was it technical, tactical, mental? Like what were some of the things that you really, you know, accepted as kind of a first year pro that you're kind of like, wow, that's, that's some pretty valuable stuff I'm learning and getting exposed to. Um, I think one of them is the, the language that they use. So my, my club or my club coach didn't really speak English well. 
So you had to interpret a lot and, you know, kind of piece together what he was meaning and, and try and not and bother the foreigners with like what he was saying in Greek. Um, so that part was, and just learning it on your own on, on how to do drills and kind of what his expectations are from you was one of the biggest parts. I want to say that I learned and also just like the volleyball lingo, like they, for a quick, they call, I had an Italian assistant coach and he calls it like primo tempo. And I didn't figure that out until a weekend. And I was like, okay, now I understand what that means. Or, you know, a fast in some set to the pin is called a super. So learning all of those different languages were, was, was interesting. And it was just like, you're, you need to be like a sponge whenever it came to learning how they play over there, because there's so many different ways and aspects that they play. It was really neat to really neat to see. Friend of the show, Jeff Miller started an amazing golf brand called Club Jason. Designed with quality in mind, Jason sets no limits on comfort, feel and appeal. They are devoted to growing the game of golf and creating opportunities for those who could benefit greatly from a little extra support. 10% of all sales will go to a Club Jason scholarship for a female golfer. An additional 10% of all sales will go towards junior golf programs in Ontario. Club Jason wanted to pass on some savings to you, official friend of the show. Use promo code DIMES, that's D-I-M-E-S, at checkout to receive 15% off your order. Jason also offers free shipping in North America on any order over $99. Visit clubjason.com, that's C-L-U-B-J-S-O-N.com to check out their amazing clothing and to learn more. Jason, join the club. And with this club in Greece, how many foreigners were there? Were you the only, obviously the only Canadian, but were you the only North American with that club? Um, there was also um, a, a setter from Puerto Rico and a outside hitter from uh, Arizona. So I was one out of, oh, and there was also the opposite that was injured. She was from Brazil. So there was four of us that we were kind of able to stick together and, and figure some stuff out <laughs> together. So that was, that was nice that I had like a, a sounding board and, and somebody that was kind of in the same boat as I was. And you, you already mentioned the amount of schoolwork you were doing. And I think you, you're, I completely agree. I think professional volleyball, we, we build it up to be this glamorous thing. And I think it really depends on the situation you're in. But one thing I, I'm hearing a lot from a lot of pro players is the, the amount of free time you have and how you balance that. So did your, did your studies help provide a distraction? So you just weren't at home, you know, talking on zoom to friends back home or playing video games. Like, was that just something that you could like build your time around? Because I think other than, your practice and your lift, like the, the day is yours, right? And you being a foreigner, maybe the, the social life isn't as big as maybe people build it up for professional athletes. So I'm just curious how you kind of built your day around training, but also being a student and whatever else you had time for. Yeah, I think with having school, I, I, I honestly don't think I watched, I couldn't even, I don't even think I watched like a 24 hours worth of Netflix in my, in my seven months that I was over there because I was so busy with school and um, I was also interning with a, uh, an agency that was in America. I was just working with them to kind of learn the, the background of being an agent because they were, they were seeking some, some interns to be able to do some um, project management stuff. So 
I started kind of working a little bit with them on the side too, and to learn about the professional side of volleyball from a business lens on top of school. And then on top of, you know, watching game film and recovery and eating and cooking and all that stuff. Like I didn't have any free time whatsoever. Maybe, maybe one Sunday I was lucky if I didn't have schoolwork. So it was, it was a really, really busy seven months, but I kind of prefer it that way. I'd rather be too busy than too bored, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and when you arrive in Sweden, what's your sense around that club? Cause I think it, is it fair to say a country like that speaks English? Like I think they learn it through school. So were you able to communicate more with teammates and to coach speak English or what was that environment like with your Swedish club? Yeah, they definitely spoke English a lot better in Sweden than they did in Greece. Um, yeah, English is their second language, and they're very okay with using that. But in uh, in Greece, they they hated speaking English, so you kind of just had to figure it out on your own. But in Sweden, um, the girls were really good with um, communication, and and um, my coach was he's actually from Finland, so he was probably the one that struggled with English the most, and so it was just. A lot of same thing as Greece, but on a, a lighter scale, a lot of, you know, interpreting and, and trying to piece all the puzzle pieces together on, on what you're supposed to do and what your expectations are. And yeah. And how did it feel just knowing that you were maybe going to have a chance to contribute more with this team? Like, did you did you feel like you were fighting for the starting spot? Did you feel like you are already the right side there? Like, how did the, just the change in club and change in scenery affect like your mindset and what you were kind of training towards? So because I was going halfway through the season, um, they already had a, um, they already had half their season done. And they, so they, they weren't doing too well in their league. They usually are kind of more middle of the middle of the pack. They, they're pretty, um, competitive and so they were struggling a little bit with their with their record and this was the first time in a really long time that they were doing that so I was more brought in to make a difference and try and help them win more games and uh so I was kind of told that I was going to be you know the starting opposite and my expectation was to help them win games um that's why I was there so that's kind of what I was walking into and yeah and how did you feel about the level in Sweden? How was it comparable to OUA or to the One Volleyball League about, you know, speed, strength, like just the athletes around you? How did you find the the jump to pro? I think in Sweden, there's a bigger gap from the top teams versus the bottom teams. Um, the top teams are really, really competitive. There are some big girls on there. Their, their teams are pretty their teams are pretty well, um, well-rounded. And, uh, I think the further you go down the, um, the league, the, um, skill kind of drops off a little bit. So that was an interesting way to kind of play all the matches. Just, you never really knew what you were getting into. Like, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna be playing a top team, but how good are they compared to, some of the teams that are more middle of the pack. And it was like, some of them were big, big changes. They're big jumps from the, you know, the first place, second place team to the fourth and fifth place team. And how did you 
like for you to be nominated for the best opposite award in the league obviously shows that you had a, a great season but how did you feel like you fit into that team like was the offense starting to go through you a little bit like was it did you feel like you were I don't know getting the set selection you wanted like getting one-on-ones like did you feel like that they were really designing their success around your success or how did that kind of come together on a team because I think it's interesting to go through a university program for four years but to just show up in the new year and be ready to go as a pro and then help this team contribute right away I just want to know how how that felt or how you felt you contributed right away to the team's success yeah I think getting used to the setting because um I had a I had a Brazilian setter and there's a there's a massive difference from the way that they're taught setting and the way that North American setters are taught setting um, and so just being able to adjust to the balls that she was delivering. And the biggest thing was, it was like the outcome was the same as the North American setters, but the process was different. So I just needed to trust the fact that, you know, the way the ball was coming out of her hands, the way that she was moving to the ball, the ball was still going to get set on where it needed to be set. So it took a couple weeks to really trust the fact that, you know, those balls are going to get there. They're going to be, they're going to be put in places that, you know, I can put them away. And um, the more matches, the more practices that I played, you just get way more comfortable and you, you know, you get to know your, your teammates more and how they play. And, and so that's, I think after I got my first couple of matches kind of out of the way, I really, really got used to the swing of things and averaging, I think I averaged about like 35 to 40 attempts a match. So it was, it was a lot of volume and, uh, yeah, a lot of um, a lot of pressure, but in a good way. It was it was good. And how did those conversations happen? Like, was the setter similar age to you? Had they played more pro? Like, it sounds like you were the one who kind of took on the adjustment, and you were the one willing to make changes. But I'm just curious what the dynamic of your club was. Like, did that come through coach? Did you and the setter figure it out, or did you honestly just change your timing to fit their style? So whenever I first got there, I originally tried to change my style to fit hers in the way that she set. And uh, so I played my first few matches that way. And then I kind of, I kind of put out the idea to her. I was like, Hey, can we run a little bit of a faster um, in system ball? And we just like, you know, see how that works. Cause I I'm personally used to hitting faster balls, but if you know, you're, you're uncomfortable setting that. That's no problem. But we, we tried it out and it actually started to click really, really fast with, um, setting a faster ball to the pin. And it, uh, it worked out really well by the end of our, by the end of our season. And how did you find the adjustment to pro life in terms of like now teams are alerting for you, they're gathering film. Like I I know obviously that happens in the OUA, but I imagine at the pro level, it's a little bit more advanced where now you're playing against people whose job is to stop you, right? Like their actual living is to win this game. So did you find that you needed to adjust new shots or or a different approach or how did you feel like that level of pro where now there's like a full-time staff person across from you who, who their only job was to watch your tape and figure out a way to stress you out? (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think it just, it's hard to, you just got to up your game. Like you just have to come prepared to put a hundred percent in every single match that you play. And, and that's, it's not that you're, you're not doing that at university and, and varsity too, but I think the biggest change for me was mentally and preparing for matches that way, because in university I, di- I didn't really have, um, 
uh, a game day routine or anything like that. I just kind of went with the flow of, you know, some days if I'm, I'm in the mood, I'm going to socialize with teammates more. If I, if I need to go, you know, listen to music by myself, I'll go do that. Um, and I just kind of did what felt right at university. I think because, you know, the environment was so comfortable, you got used to, you know, the gyms that you're going to go play and you know exactly what a home game feels like for you. And going to play professional, it's like, you know, you're going to a team, you don't know what your travel day is going to look like. You don't know what your home matches are going to feel like. You don't know what your teammates, how they're going to play really. You don't, you don't know really anything besides what's in your control and what you can contribute out on the court. So I think the biggest change for me was preparing um, mentally for matches and getting into a consistent habit of you know, figuring out how I'm going to perform and how I want to perform in those in those games, and taking that to to the court. And just based on who we've had on the show, like Becky Pavin was a great guest for us because she mentioned just like the external stuff that comes with not only being a foreigner but being a foreigner right side. Like typically in indoor volleyball right now, that's like the big ticket spot. That if your your league only has a certain amount of foreigners, you can almost bet that it's going to be a right side that comes in, and there's going to be expectations that. You're going to get in-system sets, you're going to get out-of-system sets, but your job is to score the ball. So did you ever feel any of that pressure? And, and if so, how do you deal with that being a right side where, you know, you don't really serve-receive, you're, you're expected to block, and if you get digs, that's cool too. But your your main job is at the end of the game, how many kills did you get and what was your attack efficiency, right? So did, did that ever become clear to you or did coach ever put pressure on you or did you put pressure on yourself about, like, I, I'm being employed here to get kills? Yeah, that's exactly it. Like it was all, I want to say the internal pressure that you put on yourself. Like that's what you sign up whenever you're an opposite. Like that's what you sign up to do. Exactly that. You know, you need, you need to get points and put balls away. So I think watching a lot of film on myself, and this is something I also did in, in university. I watched an extensive amount of film, like to the point Lucas would be like, Lacey, do you live a life? Like, are you, do you live a life outside of volleyball? Like, cause you can see the logged hours on volumetrics he was like, <laughs> he was like, you got to find something else to do with your time. Stop watching so much film. But <laughs> I did the same thing whenever I went to go play pro because that's how I learned the best is watching myself and all. So many athletes are the exact same way, you know, watching watching their um, their their good kills and their their errors and all that stuff and figuring out, you know, how can I score in this situation next time or what did I do to um, to make the best out of this ball or something like that. And really kind of logging. Like I have a, I have a little volleyball diary that I use and I kind of put, um, after I watch film, I put a post game kind of what I've found off of my film and take that into practice with me the next week. It's like, okay, I need to work on my, um, what to do with a, if a out of system ball is set inside. Okay. What do I need to do to, you know, put the team, um, in the best case scenario on our end and, you know, I'll, I'll work on that for the following week and stuff like that. So it's just a bunch of analyzing yourself, trial and error of, you know, what can work, what can't work, because the biggest change from university to professional is like, you're, you're paid to perform at the level that you're at right now. You're not paid and you're not there to be getting better. So if you want to get better, that's a hundred percent on you and your responsibility. 
Yeah, it's scary when you put it that way. It's like I've heard other players describe it where it's almost like the owner treats you like a video game and they bought you with this attributes and you need to perform to that attribute. Like you're not allowed to have a bad day. And yeah, practice is designed around like the team system and winning the next game, not your long term development because you just might not be there. Right. Exactly. So with your club, how did the video work? Because, again, it can be a lot of different ways. Like, did you have access to a full-time scout who would clip the video? Did you have Bali metrics? Or are you honestly on the bus going through, like, quick time on your laptop watching a full match with no clips? Like, how did it work for you, uh, your first-year pro? Yeah, my my coach was super old-fashioned. And he didn't use Bali metrics out of Bali, anything like that. He is a whole... Uh, quick time player. And, (laughs) and so I would grab them from him, um, after every match and upload them on my computer and I would break down the video myself and it would take hours to do (laughs) and really piece together, um, every single part of my game and break, break that up and analyze it. And, uh, yeah, it's not, uh, didn't get the technology that we had in university, but that's, that's what you get whenever you sign up for professionally, you know, you got (laughs) to, you got to deal with the cards that you've been dealt. <laughs> so what process have you found or, or maybe through trial and error? Have I, I love the journal idea and hopefully you can share some more examples there, but I'm curious. I find when athletes watch video for the first time, they can be really critical. And I'm curious how you found your process where you have the ability to evaluate your performance, but you're not like judging it and living, dying and be like, Oh, I can't believe I did that. Or I did this. Like, how are you honestly looking at it? So it's part of like your feedback loop, but you're not like, I don't know, emotionally dependent on watching your video and it just ruins your night because you're like, Oh, I can't believe I just did that. So one of my rules of thumb that I kind of developed for myself, especially when I was, uh, overseas was I don't watch film as much as I want to directly after the night that I play, because usually if we, you know, if we lose, I'll be upset or, you know, if I'm, I'm, we win and I'm happy, you know, it's just, as soon as we're done the match, I don't, watch film don't open volleyball or anything until the next day and then so whenever I'm usually watching film I just break down my hits and I see I keep it super simple of I watch all my attempts good and bad I don't I don't break them up and watch all the bad ones or all the good ones and I just write down some of the um the common themes that I'm seeing I'm doing and whether that's good or bad and kind of comparing that to previous matches and seeing, okay, this is something that's been constantly happening in matches and something I have to be a lot more mindful about, or this is, you know, this is something new that's really good that I've never seen myself do before in film in a match. You know, I've been training and and practice and trying to do it, but this is the first time I'm actually seeing it transition, transition to a match. So kind of just, you know, taking it easy on myself, like, there's, I find there's no real need to be super analytical of your performance because it's only going to be detrimental at that point because you can't change it. You can only, you know, learn from it. So. And how much uh, I'm curious as a right side and just going back to like the game planning question, how much are you going into a game and just going, you know, strength on strength. I'm really confident in my line shot. I'm going to hit line until they take it away. Or are you trying to get a read on the defense and saying, okay, they've, they've scouted me enough. Uh, now this shot's available or I have to go to this because I think any volleyball coach is going to say, like, if we're scouting this specific player, we want to make them have to use their third or fourth shot against us. We're not going to let them get away with their top shot. So uh, I'm curious with you being a dominant opposite, 
is there opportunity to go strength on strength? Or are you honestly always trying to read and kind of grasp what they're trying to do against you? Oh, I'm always trying to read as much as I'm like, I would love if every single team I played against open line for me, that's usually not the case. (laughs) And that's usually the first thing that they take away from me. So it's always, if I'm finding I'm struggling to score in balls that I know I should be scoring in, I'll either ask my libero or be like, Hey, can you just check out and see, you know, what they're doing over there? Or, you know, give me something that I'm not seeing because, or ask our coach or assistant coach and ask them, you know, what, what are they doing over there and why I'm not scoring on this type of thing? Do you have any sort of um, advice and what can I take to change my game up? And, and uh, usually that helps a lot. And just being able to hear someone's different perspective, that's in a different role. So I kind of, I lean on my teammates a lot for that whenever it comes to trying to figure out different ways to score or what their defense setup is looked like on me and stuff like that. And I found that that's, I found a lot of success in doing that and, and asking people if, if it's needed. Yeah. With the tempo of sets you're hitting, how much vision do you have? Like, are you able to I obviously see the blocker, but it, it's happening too fast that so you can really identify like what the wing defenders doing on the opposite side and things like that. Right. Like, what are you trying to get a look at to make your decision? But then, like you said, also asking, you know, people on the bench or the libero what they're seeing, like how much can you really grasp versus you make a decision because it's so fast and you're really just kind of looking for seams or high off hands or things like that. I usually try and take a look at the pin blocker before I start my approach and where she's starting can have an indication on where she's going to be attempting to block me. So if she's starting all the way out of the pin, I know that that middle blocker is going to be trying to close to her. So I know there's a chance if we're in system, I'm going to have a seam that I can just score down that or you know, if there's if they're bunch blocking, I know that I have a higher chance to go off her left hand out of bounds and just turn down the line and wait for that set to kind of hang out to the pin and turn that down the line. Um, or if I know I have a higher blocker, um, a girl that has some pretty good hops on her, then I just go shoot for the stars and aim for the ceiling <laughs> and uh, go off hands. <laughs> so it's just a lot of... Um, analyzing before I actually start my approach and then adjusting to the ball that I'm given and knowing what I know prior to my approach, I can make what I like to think pretty good shots off of that. Your season ends. You, you obviously take care of exams and any final stuff for school you need to, but what is next? Uh, are you sticking with the same agency? Um, obviously a few other leagues are still finishing up and in their playoffs so I imagine offers don't come now, but what, what would be the process to either return to your club next year or to like uh, kind of experiment or investigate some other leagues? Yeah, I think right now it's just more of a waiting game. Uh, like you said, there are some clubs that are still finishing up some, uh, some leagues. So definitely I, I loved my first year overseas as much as, you know, as unorthodox as it was, it was so much fun and like, I, I definitely see myself doing it for a few more years at least until trying to avoid stepping into the real world for as long <laughs> as possible. <laughs> but uh, yeah, as long as my body holds up and, you know, I, I keep, uh, keep enjoying being away over there um, away from family is always really tough, but um, yeah, hoping within the next couple weeks, um, my agent has a couple um, 
inquiries so far. And I think it's just going to be coming down to, you know, picking what's best for me and what's, what's, uh, something that I'm most interested in going to. So nice, nice. Well, this was great to catch up with you and hear about your journey and really dive into some details. And I'm happy with all that you shared. Uh, I am looking at the clock. I did promise you an hour and we are pretty good on time. So I'm hoping you got a good one for us. We learning through this show, volleyball is awesome and we all love it. But at the same time, some odd or hilarious stuff seems to happen to everybody because it's a professional sport, but there's still some funny and awesome people in it. So I was hoping you could give us a funny story before we let you go. Yeah, of course. So this is one that I think is um, going to sit with me probably for the rest of my life. But we were, I was uh, playing, I think it was last year in Windsor and we were playing a home match and Josh, I think you might know where Hannah Camras. The name sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So Hannah is probably one of the sweatiest humans I've ever met in my entire (laughs) life. And we were playing in a match and our gym was scorching hot. And it was, a, it was a really tight match. I forget who we were playing against, but I think we were late in the fourth or early in the fifth. And she somehow cut her forehead. And the rules are you can't be on the floor while you're bleeding. And so my our student therapist put a Band-Aid on her head and she sweated off like it fell on the floor immediately. And so we didn't know really what to do. And our assistant coach grabbed white athletic tape and just handed it to my uh my therapist and just completely rocked her entire (laughs) head up in this white athletic tape and at the time it was so funny to just to look at her across the floor because she was ripping it up too she was playing so well and she was dead serious so to see her head wrapped in white athletic tape and she was sweating buckets and blood kind of coming through the tape it was just it was uh it was it was hard to uh to stay serious for a lot of the rest of that match but uh it was probably my most memorable moment um one of those you've got to be there to see how funny it was but it was a good one uh the pitcher's there she must have looked so tough <laughs> oh you bet you bet did she take it off herself or did the poor therapist have to like unwrap the work they did I, I think she took it off herself and probably took about a quarter of her hair out with that. Oh, <laughs> it was bad, but it was so funny. Oh, that's another good one. So definitely thanks for, for coming on the show and sharing that awesome story at the end. Obviously very, very easy to root for and hopefully we'll, we'll see the contract stuff, but obviously not in a hurry just with where the world is right now, but hopefully we'll see the announcement soon and get to cheer you on while you're still overseas playing, because this is very excited. And I, I really appreciate you sharing all that you did and to learn about your first year with some, some up and downs, but I definitely learned a lot and you definitely performed. So great having you on the show. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Josh. It's been great.